right, all right, all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I love recording this podcast. It is literally one of my favorite things to do, to be able to search out the internet and search out the interwebs and find the smartest people in the world, bring them in, to have a great conversation, to pick their brain, to learn what they're passionate about, to learn what they're educated on to learn what they're studying, and ultimately to start to weed through all of the information out there to bring you and me the greatest understanding possible to ultimately live my greatest life in a body that I love. And for me, as many of you will notice, over the last, I don't know, maybe a couple of years, um, I've started to introduce a lot more concepts to to the listeners, to you, the listener, um, that expands well beyond just muscle building that is well beyond just fat loss, right? So for me, I feel as though that I've kind of solved that riddle, right? I've solved that problem. I have a very good understanding. I have a strong confidence that I could build muscle on really anyone and and lose fat for anyone. And so it's really allowed me to expand my horizons and and create this, this deep generalist mindset toward optimization of life, right? So everyone talks about longevity and everyone talks about health optimization and everyone's talking about all these different facets of, you know, living a great life and start asking yourself, well, why, right? What do I really want to do? What do I, what do I, what do I really want out of life? And for me, I just love helping people. I love taking the dumb things that I've done in the past, the huge mistakes that I've made and the struggles that I've had and turning them into an opportunity, turning them into my gift and being able to pass on that knowledge, that wisdom, that experience to you so you don't have to make it. And that's really what this podcast is about. And one of the biggest mistakes that I made early in my life, as a, one as a child, unknowingly to me, two as a teenager, three as a, as a professional bodybuilder or as a young aspiring bodybuilder and then a professional bodybuilder was understanding how to eat. And still, honestly, I don't know if anyone truly understands how to eat most effectively. It seems like it's a very dynamic process, doesn't it? It feels like it's, or it should feel like if you don't think this way, there's no one diet that works for everyone. There's no one diet that will work for you forever. It's a dynamic process based on your training, based on your history, based on your genetics, based on your lifestyle, and uh, all of, and obviously your goals based on these different um, objectives, right? And so learning how to put all this information together is a very important asset in your arsenal or your tool belt. And so as we explore the deeper depths of optimization of self and optimization of the human, um, you'll start to look for different tools to put into your tool belt to help you make more effective decisions. That's how we should all be framing fitness. That's how we should all be framing health is there's no one right workout. There's no one right cardio plan. There's no one right diet. It has to be dynamic. And the dynamic nature of it all requires by necessity either a very deep understanding or deep generalist understanding of a lot of different concepts. So you can learn how to pick and choose when to do what, for example, seasonal eating is a topic that comes up in today's podcast or learning how and when your body needs carbohydrates or learning how and how much 
protein your body needs or how and when your body needs fats and ultimately how your body utilizes those nutrients, right? So if I eat a banana and you eat a banana, that doesn't equate to the same thing in our body. So the concept of calories in calories out can't be equal, right? Like you eating chicken and broccoli doesn't equate to the same internal physiological result of me as me eating chicken and broccoli based on a whole number of factors from stress and age and cellular health and inflammation and stomach acids and microbiome and all, all these different factors. We're all so different. So what today's episode ultimately is about is giving you a new tool. It's giving you a new way to start to understand how to eat, how to manage your nutrition, how to manage your carbohydrates specifically. Kara Collier joins me today to talk about ultimately managing blood glucose, managing carbohydrate intake, understanding glucose control and metabolism. Kara is a registered dietitian nutritionist, a licensed dietitian and a certified nutrition specialist. And her specialty is understanding glucose and metabolism. Now, there's a lot of people who believe that managing glucose is the uh, key to optimization of body composition. <clears throat> and while I don't think that's a complete thought, I don't ent entirely disagree. I think understanding for certain people, how your glucose is tolerated is very important. Some people tolerate glucose really well. They don't have to be concerned with it. Some people are in a chronic caloric deficit. They probably don't need to be concerned with it either. But most people who just kind of eat the way they want to eat should therefore probably be concerned or at least aware of what certain foods are doing to your blood glucose. And if you listen to Dr. David Sinclair talk about management and control of blood glucose, as far as it's implicated in longevity and health, then it's definitely a concern for him. And every food has a very different response inside everyone's body. And learning how to manage that or understand that is really, really imperative. Kara Collier and I talked today about um, continuous glucose monitors. We talk about how to interpret that data. We talk about um, how to ultimately learn your body, what may be physiological symptoms to feel for when your glucose is elevated. We talk about uh, the definition of insulin resistance and ultimately what causes it. We talk about um, what truly, what fasting truly does um, in glucose for glucose. We talk about what an ultimate uh, fasting glucose range is, or what the ideal is, if there is such a thing, we talk about how to read and assess your continuous glucose monitor and ultimately what a continuous glucose monitor is and what the benefits might be. We talk a little bit about some supplements that will lower blood sugar and maybe how the order of foods you, uh, you consume matters also. Uh, so many amazing, amazing things in this conversation with Kara Collier. So thank you for joining me today. Today's podcast, ladies and gentlemen, is brought to you by three amazing sponsors. And if you enjoy this podcast, um, I would highly appreciate you guys heading over to our sponsor page and checking that out and supporting our sponsors. This um, no cost to you podcast is ultimately takes time. It takes people and takes effort to produce. And if you enjoy this podcast and you want to support the podcast, check out our sponsor page uh, over at muscleintelligence.com slash podcast. You can go directly to our sponsor pages at organifi.com slash muscle to get hooked up with 20% off. That's again, organifi.com slash muscle. And you'll get 20% off whether you're drinking the greens, you're drinking the reds, you're drinking the gold. 
Uh, they get their proteins. They got some really great products. Another sponsor of today's podcast is by optimizers. They're currently running a promo on their amazing ketogenic product called Capex. And you can get that at Kenergize, Kenergize.com slash muscle. And you get hooked up with 10% off there. Another sponsor today is Vuori. Vuori is probably some of the highest quality athletic apparel that I've ever owned. Uh, I've had some of their stuff for many, many years. It looks slick. It looks awesome. You can wear it to the gym. You can wear it to the golf course. You can wear it to the office and still look like a champion. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash muscle. Vuori.com slash muscle and use the code muscle to get hooked up with 20% off your first purchase. Guys, you're going to love this stuff. I've had some of this stuff for years and years and years. As I said previously, I've used it since probably about 2017 when introduced to it by the guys over at Mind Pump. And they hooked me up with some free gear and it was so great that I've since picked some up for myself. Um, so once again, uh, guys, if you enjoy this podcast, we'd appreciate you support these, this, uh, all of these sponsors because we intentionally curate these products to ultimately support you and living your greatest life in a body you love. So thanks to the sponsors and thank you to you for being here. Enjoy the podcast with Kara Collier. Welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast, Kara Collier. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Ben? I'm extremely well. Thanks for joining me today. I'm super excited to dig into insulin and glucose control. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm excited to chat. All right. So one of the founders of NutriSense, um, an incredible company that's ultimately on the frontier of this uh, discovery of the human system and discovery from a perspective of sensing what's going on in our blood at multiple times throughout the day. I think it's one of the most interesting areas of exploration in high-end athletics and high-end performance. There's a lot of people like trying to understand what these things do. What does it mean to have high blood glucose? What does it mean to have any nutrient high in your blood? And ultimately, how can we um, influence it and how can we control it and where's the best place to be? So just to kind of give us the, the audience a little bit of a preamble of what we might discuss today. So uh, first, I'd love to have just maybe tell us a little bit about your background. I know you've got an incredible background in um, you know understanding kind of human physiology, but I'd like to dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm trained as a dietitian, so I come from a background of nutrition and healthcare, um, and I started my career in a very traditional way, working in hospitals, working with very sick patients, um, and through that, I very quickly realized that that was not going to be the place or the format where I was able to make the biggest difference. Right. Um, there was a lot of unnecessary suffering that you see in the hospital, especially from a nutrition lens. Um, where you wish you could catch people 20, 30 years earlier, you wish that you could have given them the tools or the information to help them not end up in the hospital. So that is really where my motivation for NutriSense started was kind of seeing the reality of the healthcare system and, and kind of the state of people's health. Um, so from there, kind of went to a different startup, but was always really mulling over this problem of metabolic health and preventative health and how to address some of those real problems. And it really always came back down to metabolic health as this kind of core engine that drives a lot of chronic conditions, which then ends up, you know, people in the hospital or with complications. So yeah. trying to understand metabolic health more kind of really went into a deep dive and then came across this tool, the continuous glucose monitor or CGM. And it is this awesome tool that gives you a lot of insight into your metabolic health and also helps really drive behavior change. So I got very excited about this technology, um, teamed up with two of my co-founders, Dan and Alex, and we built NutriSense, where we're using this technology um, and also 
through a phone app where you can kind of make sense of it. So it's not so complicated. It's not as nuanced because our bodies are pretty complicated. And we also pair that with a one-on-one dietitian, you know, coming from the world of counseling and nutrition care, having the data plus the human element we believe is really important for success. You know, you can have all the data in the world, but if you don't have a person to help guide you through your health journey, then we don't believe that it's as effective. So at NutriSense, we're really combining both the human component and the data component to really help solve some of those problems I was seeing in the hospital systems. Sure. So here, let's start really granular here and let's define metabolic health. Like I want to get into what that actually means and not just, you know, some, some kind of big picture esoteric thing. Like let's get granular and, and what does that actually mean at a cellular level? So metabolic health first, you know, if we do start a little bit of a step back is really about kind of both the building up of processes and the breaking down of processes. So it's really anything that drives energy in our body. And so a lot of the most obvious things about metabolism and metabolic health come to mind is when you eat. So when you eat, you're fueling the body with, you know, building blocks. And then we can break this down through a complex metabolic system. And then we can use all these different components for energy. You know, we think of obvious energy, like the ability to sprint or lift something heavy, but it's also, you know, growing skin and nails and, you know, resurfacing different cells and all of the energy required to do our day-to-day processes. This combination of breaking things down and building things up as a whole is just metabolism, metabolic health. So the metabolic health is the state of how well these processes are going. So if we think of homeostasis, that just means that things are working as they're supposed to. They're kind of aligned. We're rowing together. We're floating together. And so when we have good metabolic health, these processes are working appropriately. Um, I kind of describe our metabolic system as almost like cellular engine of the human body. So if you think about an engine in a car, um, without it, the car wouldn't be very effective. Um, And without our cellular engine, we can't do anything. So it's what drives all these processes. It's what really um, puts us forward. And an engine can either be very transformative. You know, you put a Mercedes or Ferrari engine in a car and it's going to really change the way that car performs. But if you put in an old rusty engine, then it can also be degenerative or debilitating. And that's how I think of our metabolic health. It's really kind of that engine. And it's a very complex system composed of many different organs, hormones, enzymes. They all work together to absorb, digest, process, excrete nutrients. Um, But glucose, kind of tying that into it, is kind of like the gasoline in a car. Um, It's that primary fuel source that helps drive all of these metabolic processes. So it's providing a lot of energy to a cellular level. And so when we can observe that, you know, how is our energy balance? What does that homeostasis look like? We can see um, at a more granular level when we're measuring glucose in real time, 24 seven, where things might be off, where things are starting to be kind of an inappropriate response, or if they're functioning very well, um, you know, fine-tuned exactly what we want them to see. So where does someone's metabolic health start to deteriorate? When? Where? Yeah. So uh, yeah, what is the cause? What is the, what is the, the initiation? Yeah, it's very complicated. And this is where if somebody tells you um, like 
carbs are the only reason for poor metabolic health or, um, you know, X, Y, Z, they're probably not truly understanding complex this system is because it's very multifaceted. So there are many different things that can cause the systems to start to deteriorate. And it could be one thing in isolation, or it could be a lot of things that are kind of, um, building up. And so one thing that can happen is of course diet. And there are many then facets of diet that can drive this system to start to break down. Um, a lot of it is really just over consuming what our body needs. If we're providing too much energy, then we're kind of always redlining that system to be running. But if we're also providing inappropriate energy, that could be in the form of just really processed food that could be in the form of where it's more carbohydrates that are appropriate to your diet. There's definitely not a one size fits all for carbohydrate threshold. Um, this can kind of start to deteriorate the system being sedentary, lack of muscle mass, which your audience probably doesn't have that problem. Um, but lean muscle tissue is extremely important and making sure that the system is running properly, you know, poor sleep, environmental toxins, air pollution, stress levels, stress levels alone can cause the system to go awry because then we're redlining the fact that we need glucose. We need energy because our bodies are stressed out. Um, so there are a variety of factors that can start to um, put some stress on the system and a little stress is okay sometimes just like exercise is stressful, but it's positive. Uh, so it's not kind of a happens one day or, you know, one week of bad behavior. It's a, a cumulative effect that starts to um, cause that system to sort of break down and, and have some detriments. Yeah. So when the system starts to break down, let's say we're pushing the system really hard, whether it be stress or calories or, or any of these things you mentioned, um, what is kind of the first indication at a cellular level? What tends to happen? Is, is it the cell becomes insulin resistant? Is it drops up inflammation? Is it oxidative stress? What are the kind of mechanistic uh, results of you know pushing the system, as you say? Yeah. Often what happens first is that insulin levels start to rise. Um, and so if we think about insulin resistance, which is essentially that poor metabolic health, you can kind of use those terms interchangeably. Um, insulin resistance is essentially when we are not able, insulin is not able to do its normal function. So normally insulin is driving a lot of these glucose responses. It's driving a lot of these metabolic health responses. And I kind of think of insulin as, or insulin resistance as the boy who cried wolf. Um, so if we're constantly calling for more insulin, the body's going to give it, it's going to respond to it. But if we're constantly doing that, it starts to ignore that signal. Um, it starts to become a decreased sensitivity to that you know, crying wolf, that yelling. And so it's usually a combination of insulin levels start to rise. That's the screaming, we're responding, and then insulin sensitivity starts to go down. We're starting to ignore that signal. And when insulin sensitivity goes down, that's when we see glucose levels rise because insulin is no longer able to do its normal function, which is to put glucose where it needs to be, which is why those things are um, pretty closely related. Unfortunately, the technology doesn't yet exist to measure insulin in real time 24-7. Uh, trust me, there are people working on it and we will definitely uh, be on that as soon as it's possible. But right now you can kind of get the snapshot in time of your insulin levels of fasting insulin um, those type of measurements, but glucose usually follows pretty closely. 
So typically what's happening is um, those insulin levels start to go up and then decrease insulin sensitivity. And a lot of times that decreased insulin sensitivity first starts to occur in the skeletal muscle and also our fat tissue, which is one reason that maintaining lean muscle mass, um, being physically active can really help consistently keep our insulin sensitivity um, fine-tuned and properly working. So talk to me about the difference. So you hear some practitioners kind of raving about, it's just about insulin levels. If your insulin levels are elevated, then this is the, this is the marker for deteriorating health. And other people say, well, insulin may be not as, as important. And it's just like, actually, where's your glucose regulation? So I'm curious how you kind of parse all that. Yeah. And I think that they are similar in the sense that usually when insulin goes up, glucose is also up and vice versa. Um, And so for ease of cost and the technology available, measuring glucose for most people is going to be simpler, cheap, cheaper, and just as effective. But if we wanted to be in an ideal scenario, I think that insulin is most likely happening first. If there was the technology available to measure insulin 24 seven, I think that that would be superior slightly. Um, But I think that it's, they're so close that to me, it's it's kind of like, not a, a huge point of discussion that's worth kind of getting into the nitty gritty. By the time someone's insulin is high and by the time their glucose is high, uh, we usually want to be doing something about it. And we might catch one slightly before the other, but they're usually correlated um, pretty closely. And with that being said, you know, insulin right. and glucose are not an end all be all. There can be components of health that need to be improved um, and, you know, might have some issues and insulin and glucose might be fine. Uh, so, you know, there's also the people say like insulin is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that causes you to gain weight. It's the only thing that causes you to be unhealthy. And I don't think we can take it that extremely either. What else plays in? Yeah, I think just, I, you know, I, I will say, I think calories do play a role. This is a very controversial topic in the world of nutrition. Um, but I think it's important. Uh, it's, I don't think it's just insulin and I don't think it's just calories. I think calories matter more. Like you can do a calorie in calorie out type of approach. If you're very insulin sensitive, you know, if you think about all the arguments of the people who, who argue insulin and hormones versus calories in calories out, a lot of people on the calories in calories out tend to be, um, you know, like bodybuilders, I don't know what your viewpoint is on this, or they tend to be um, very fit and healthy and they're usually very insulin sensitive. So their body responds easier to the calories. Whereas somebody who's very insulin resistant, they might cut calories and it's not as effective because that system's broken at baseline. Yep. Uh, so I think we need to look at both and, and just kind of take the person into account rather than the blanket statements. Yeah. I'm very much of the same mind. So someone who's extremely muscled can actually eat significantly more calories and not put on any fat. Someone who is metabolically unhealthy, you could literally give them very little and they don't lose fat. And I've seen it happen like yeah. time and time again. So you're, you're totally right. And I think you're right. The people who are who are just shouting louder about just about the macros, they just don't get it, right? One day they'll get it and everyone will forgive them and it'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about numbers. So when, when you say um, glucose, healthy glucose levels, insulin sensitivity, is there a, a wide range or is it pretty consistent person to person what you would kind of define as healthy glucose numbers? So if someone to go out, get a glucose monitor or get a, um, like a glucose prick test, mm-hmm. they could see, Hey, this is where my glucose sits. What does that mean? 
Yeah. So it's fairly consistent of what we would consider healthy. Um, but the values are going to differ whether you're kind of more in a fasted state or you're in, you know, a fed postprandial state. So looking at the fasted, we typically want to see values between 70 to 90. Um, traditional guidelines will That's say a big any- range. That's a yeah, big it, range, is, right? it is fairly large. Um, but traditional guidelines will say anything under a hundred is normal. So if you go to the doctor and you get a fasted glucose level and it comes back at 98, they're probably going to say that's perfectly fine, but there is a lot of research that 90 to hundred range is kind of starting to be what I would call a yellow flag, a little bit of a warning sign. So we really like to encourage more of that 70 to 90. Um, and then average glucose is another thing that people will look at, whether it's, through a hemoglobin A1C, which is a lab test that's giving you an estimated average glucose, or if you're wearing a continuous glucose monitor, obviously it will also tell you your average glucose. And we really want to keep that under a hundred, um, which is close to that fasting, but gives a little bit of leeway for glucose to fluctuate throughout the day when you're eating. And then the, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I want to just turn down a little bit on one of those things, but I'll let you finish. Yeah. Um, the third component is, is when we're eating. So obviously glucose is going to fluctuate a little bit more during these times. And we're also going to see higher peaks. Um, it is not the goal to keep glucose flatlined. You know, a lot of people when they start wearing a CGM or, um, they're hearing things on social media or different podcasts, uh, they think that glucose needs to be as flat as possible. And that's ideal. And it's normal for glucose to fluctuate, especially if you're eating carbohydrates, of course, glucose is going to go up, but we want to see how high it goes up and how quickly it returns back down to that kind of normal range. And that is a healthy, um, physiological system. So we want to see glucose stay below 140. And this is all in milligrams per deciliter. Um, that's kind of a peak glucose that we want to stay below. And then we usually want to see it return either back under a hundred or kind of where it was before you started eating within two to three hours after eating the meal. Okay. So when you say 70 to 90, as, as far as being a, an ideal fasted glucose, that, as I said, that's a very large range. So I'm curious if, if there's a you know, an ideal place. Cause I think my audience is not looking for, Hey, this is good enough, right? Like is lower better or is somewhere in the mid range better? Like, you know, have you seen people into the sixties and does that mean they tend to be more metabolically healthy or insulin sensitive? So if you could walk down that path a little bit. Yeah. And, and from the research that is available and just clinical experience of working with people and seeing a lot of glucose data, there isn't a clear connection where if somebody's fasting glucose is closer to 72 versus like 88, that they're having better health health outcomes or they're feeling better. It seems to be kind of more of a what's normal for you type of thing. There are a few research studies that show the kind of upper end of the range that I gave of 85 to 90. There's a few that might indicate that that starts to be maybe a little higher than desired. I wouldn't say it's strong evidence at all, not strong enough for me to necessarily believe it, but, um, it's possible that below 85 might be even more optimal. And then when it comes to below 70, um, technically, you know, if you're reading any guidelines that go out from the diabetes association, they might call that hypoglycemia, but we see a lot of people who, especially if they're following a ketogenic diet, or if they're doing a lot of fasting, um, or if they're just really metabolically 
flexible. A lot of people will have that fasting glucose values resting in the 60s and they'll feel great. And all of their other metrics look really awesome. And um, we don't see any problem with that at all. There is research to indicate that if glucose starts to go below 55 in that fasted state, that that could be at risk for you're not getting enough glucose to your brain and your central nervous system. So 55 is kind of the threshold where we might be concerned for actual hypoglycemia. Okay. So what are the detriments then of hypoglycemia? Just that you can't get enough glucose to your brain? Would the body not flip into ketogenesis? Yeah, it should. Um, it's actually very rare for non-diabetics to get hypoglycemic. Diabetic, diabetics will get hypoglycemic very easily because again, that system is not working as properly. Um, and then non-diabetics tend to either have fasting hypoglycemia or reactive. Reactive is much more common and that means it's after a meal. So, you know, think of when you eat you know, candy bar or something super sweet, you drink a soda and you feel that kind of jitteriness and then you crash. That crash is usually a little bit of hypoglycemia. And typically that's our body over responding to the incoming glucose, kind of overshooting it with insulin. And if we're still pretty insulin sensitive, we might kind of um, have overshot that and basically go a little bit low in our glucose values afterwards. And usually the detriment of that is that you just kind of feel crappy, <laughs> usually feel tired, sluggish, kind of jittery. Um, and, and that is fairly common with people where the fasting hypoglycemia with non-diabetics happens more, um, you know, kind of in that fasted state, of course. And typically we have counter-regulatory processes in place to deal with this. Um, so if glucose goes low, we have glucagon, which is the hormone antagonist to insulin, which raises our glucose output and brings it back up. But sometimes these processes fail. And then um, that's when you start to get symptoms typically. And that's a signal to the brain that we need energy now because um, the brain is usually not getting enough energy. That is kind of the, the detriment of that hypoglycemia. And most commonly, the reason this is happening in non-diabetics is alcohol can definitely cause hypoglycemia, um, sometimes like hormonal issues such as a thyroid dysregulation um, or maybe kind of decompensation in the adrenals, kind of um, chronic fatigue syndrome or an infection, uh, something like that. Sometimes we see it in menopause too, just as hormones are, um, you know, different going through phases and swings. Yeah, very cool. So Kara, talk to me about what you see when monitoring a CGM with food combinations, because you hear people kind of going down these paths of, you should only combine protein and fat, you should only combine protein and carbs, or maybe when you're eating carbs, you should add some fat with it to slow down the stomach emptying and insulin response. And I'm sure you've seen, you know, probably more than you want to see as far as CGM. <laughs> so I'm curious what you see there. Yeah. So we do see that when you combine carbohydrates with protein, it is actually very, very effective in just about everybody. Um, and even the order of which you eat that can make a difference too. So eating some protein before your carbohydrates is a really effective tool. Um, if you're trying to blunt that glucose response, we see it with fat as well with some people, but it's more varied in the response. For some people, fat helps. For some, it doesn't. But protein pretty consistently does. Um, you know, it works in myself. It's something I think about now when, especially if you're kind of in a fasted state, you haven't eaten yet. And let's say there's bread on the table, you know, going for that first, you're gonna have a much higher glucose response than if you eat some of your protein, you know, you know, chicken, fish, whatever, before you then go for the carbohydrates that are available. Um, it actually does work. It's quite effective. 
Does, does protein supplementation work the same way? Yeah, it does actually. So a lot of people, um, we'll, we'll just do like a protein shake to break their fast so that then they can eat the big, like mixed meal that they have. And, and that seems to help. Interesting. I've heard that whey protein is insulinogenic, but you say that's not the case. Um, it's oh. insulinogenic in that it, re- and this is where sometimes glucose and insulin don't always go hand in hand. So whey protein and, and some types of protein in general are insulinogenic and in that they produce an insulin response, but it doesn't produce a glucose response and that the protein doesn't get broken down into glucose. And so what tends to happen sometimes if we eat just protein and you're really insulin sensitive is that glucose can actually drop a little bit because you're releasing insulin, but you're not necessarily releasing glucose in response to the meal. Um, and so sometimes, you know, it can give a little insulin response and then it might decrease glucose levels, not necessarily a bad thing. And this is where, um, I think we get really insulin phobic where it's like no insulin responses, that insulin is healthy and normal. If you were eating a protein shake every hour all day and you're constantly pulsing insulin, that can be when we start to abuse that insulin response. But, um, you know, eating it in kind of normal spaced out meals. And this is where I think kind of avoiding the grazing behaviors can be really helpful for people, especially if they're experience high, experiencing higher glucose values so that you're not constantly stimulating that insulin response. Very cool. Have you guys experimented with this, maybe off topic, but have you experimented with any supplementations that help to regulate or dispose of glucose? Yeah. So the supplement that we see the most success with across the board is berberine. Um, so berberine has similar mechanisms as metformin. If anyone is familiar with that, which is a really common, um, diabetic medication. And so berberine tends to work really well. Um, usually 500 milligrams twice a day or so with meals, it, it can cause some GI distress. Uh, it tends to be very effective and lowering glucose for people. And there's a variety of other supplements out there that's sometimes work for some people and maybe not as well for other people. Um, Berberine is the most consistent. Uh, Also apple cider vinegar, which can come in supplements, you know, capsules, but you can also just have the vinegar. That's actually quite effective. That's another thing that, um, you know, was one of those things we weren't really sure if it's true or not, but I see it across the board as, as really beneficial in bringing glucose down. Very cool. So if someone were to, um, take a little bit of berberine or apple cider vinegar, that would ultimately lower the amount of the, maybe the peak of the spike. Now, on the other end of that, if someone has consumed a large amount of carbohydrate and they're hoping that make the cell more sensitive to it, is there anything that you've seen work in that sense? From a supplemental perspective? Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe or, or anything. Other than yeah. exercise, I guess. I'm going to say the most effective thing if you just ate a really big meal is to move around. You know, it doesn't have to be like a go to the gym and lift heavy. It can literally be like a 10 minute walk movement, especially if you've already eaten the meal. Movement is going to be the most effective thing. Um, the worst glucose responses we see are when somebody eats a big meal and then they go nap or they're on an airplane and they can't move, like com- being completely sedentary after a large meal. And you'll see that, that glucose response be much more dramatic. Um, the apple cider, apple cider vinegar might be effective in that kind of situation as well. Berberine tends to work better when you're taking it consistently over time. Um, whereas, so if you just took like one berberine randomly with a big meal, it might not do anything, but if you're taking it every day for two weeks, you're probably going to see glucose lower. Whereas apple cider vinegar, you could take it one time with that one meal and you'll probably see it lower. 
Very cool. So as far as your future with NutriSense, this is what I'm maybe most excited about, about this conversation is what are you guys studying and, and what, what are you close to kind of a breakthrough on? Because I know obviously there's a huge interest as we spoke about in the beginning in understanding maybe lipid levels, maybe insulin levels, you know, maybe protein levels. Is that something that maybe in the, you know, in the future? Yeah, we're certainly looking at what technology is available um, in order to gather more metrics. So things that are probably closer to reality are um, things that are you can measure kind of point to care right now, like, you know, glucose, you can get a finger prick and you can measure it. So other things that are like that, that have similar technology are ketones and lactate. So those technologies are, are fairly close to reality where things like lipids and anything that's a hormone like insulin is a little bit probably further away, but I certainly don't think it's impossible and it'll come one day. So um, we're excited about additional metrics that we might be able to gather and things that we're looking for to kind of round out our app in general is just, um, you know, we have the continuous glucose data and we also integrate with a lot of ketone monitors already if people are using that point to care. Um, But we're also want to do kind of some at-home lab testing so that you can supplement um, the glucose data with maybe every six months the your lipid levels or your inflammation levels. So we can kind of get a bigger picture of what's going on with your health. Very cool. What success have you guys seen with people monitoring their, their glucose? Cause I'm curious to see, you know, even working with a nutritionist, you know, I'm sure there's a huge consideration around uh, behavior change, right? Environment yeah. behavior change. So like when someone knows about their glucose levels, do you guys tend to see a difference in their, their ultimate body composition? Yeah, absolutely. And this is, I think, the most underrated benefit of wearing the continuous glucose monitor is just how much it truly drives behavior. You know, I'm I'm sure you work with clients and you know the hardest thing is actually doing the work consistently. Um, You know, you can educate people, you can give them information, you can give them information from their own body, um, but getting them to be motivated consistently over time is where you see results. You know, that's, that's really what it comes down to. And the nature of the CGM is that it's giving you real-time data from your own body. And that helps drive behavior change in the sense that, one, we love immediate gratification or immediate consequences. Um, We're hardwired to want that kind of immediate response, which is why a lot of times nutrition or um, exercise even is difficult for people to stick to because you could say no to chocolate every night for two weeks and your weight might not change. Or you could go to the gym every day for the next two weeks, you know, for the first time and you might just feel sore. You might not feel any better or look any different. There's a long lag time between the behavior you're doing and the reward you want. Whereas with something with the CGM where you're eat something, you scan your CGM and you see the response. It's that immediate, um, you know, reinforcement of that was good. That was bad. You know, I'm connecting what I'm doing right now to what I want long-term, which is maybe, you know, a health goal, um, or to feel better, to look better. And so for a lot of people, that immediate gratification really helps create sticky habits. And it also increases intrinsic motivation in that the data is coming from you. So it's a lot more motivating when someone says, you know, you should probably walk after your meals, especially if you're eating a really big meal and you're like, yeah, maybe probably, but then you do it and you're like, wow, that decreased my glucose by 50%. 
that's really motivating. That actually works. Like I saw it with my own eyes. So what we see for a lot of people is that maybe behaviors that they already knew were important, or maybe their new learned insights about themselves are suddenly more motivating and more sticky. And that's when we can build that kind of consistent reward response system and really see the outcomes we're looking for. Um, especially if you know you're on a weight loss journey or trying to improve body composition, that takes consistent effort over time, um, and and it's a really good tool for that. Are you guys trying to gamify the app now? Is that something you're building in to to give people actual rewards in some way? Yeah, definitely. So. Right now, kind of the only thing we have um, is that we have scores. So you have a score per meal and you have a score per your day and kind of have streaks. But we're working right now on um, kind of a new insights feature that's going to give you more connections of what's happening and then ability to set goals based off of that and, and kind of gamify that in a way um, that you know helps. Even if people know it's gamification, it still helps. Whatever helps kind of build those consistent habits is, is a win. Totally. Yeah. So uh, you're obviously a very metabolically healthy person. I'm curious how you use a CGM, if you do use one, and what you're looking for when you're using it. Yeah. So I used them back to back for many years when we were starting this. And even coming from a nutrition background, I learned so much about myself that I wouldn't have known otherwise. Some of those were just reinforcements of things that I thought were healthy, like the walking, um, but some were brand new insights, just like your unique responses to food. Um, this is something people are always surprised about is that we expect us all to respond similarly to food, especially if we're at a similar level of metabolic health. But at the end of the day, we actually have very unique glucose responses. Um, we believe this is a combination of your microbiome, your genetics, you know, your environment, gender. But for example, you know, I've tried pretty much every fruit out there and my lowest glucose response to all the fruit I have tried is actually to bananas, which is mm. really surprising because bananas are a starchier, higher glycemic index fruit. Um, but for some reason, my body just responds really well to them. So for in the beginning, when I was using it, a lot of it was exploring kind of my normal go-to meals, go-to foods, just to see um, where those unique responses were and, and what substitutes I could make. You know, let's say I am partial to bananas and I didn't really care about the other fruit that I was eating instead. Now I can make those swaps. Um, and now how I use the CGM after gaining a lot of the knowledge and the insight is I use it more on a periodic basis. And this is what a lot of our customers tend to do as well is, you know, you have that learning period and then you have the reinforcement period. And some people continue to wear them 24 seven for the reinforcement period because it just really does drive that behavior change. But for me, I like to wear one and they each last, they last 14 days. So I do it for two weeks every two or three months as kind of a reminder. Um, you know, it's easy to slip into maybe bad habits, but it kind of helps me get back on track if I'm doing anything, you know, differently, or if I'm switching up my eating habits per season, um, you know, I tend to eat a little differently if it's winter versus summer, kind of what's in season. Uh, I like to put one on as well if I'm kind of mixing up my, my nutrition routine. So obviously that's something that a lot of people do. And I think it's a it's a wise idea, but I don't think we've ever discussed it at length with the audience. I'd love to have you discuss how you approach it and why. Yeah. So I eat seasonally for multiple reasons. Um, one is that I try to get my produce. Um, I use kind of like a, a farmer's, you know, like 
you know, box where somebody locally grows the food and they send it to you. And so it tends to just differ based on season. Um, but a lot of the food we get from the grocery store, especially produce is grown really far away. It's picked way before it's ready. And then it travels for a long time. And then it sits in your fridge for a little bit. And by the time it's done all of that traveling, um, it's off season, maybe it's grown not even the way it's supposed to be. It doesn't have the same nutrient density that it would if it was grown in season locally, picked fresh, and then you eat it the next day. Obviously, we can't do that for everything. Um, in an ideal world, we would have fresh local produce around us everywhere. And I know that's not always an option, but I try to choose that way as much as possible because it helps maximize that nutrient density. Um, so if it's something is grown you know, really far away because it's not in season here. I don't want to have to deal with that travel time where I'm losing all of that, that nutrient density. So that's for me, one of the big reasons. Another is that it is probably most likely that we did eat seasonally when it comes to kind of carbohydrates as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I tend to eat, you know, a higher carbohydrate diet in the summer months when there's lots of fresh fruit. Um, there's other carbohydrates that are just in season and it's local. And there is research that was done on the microbiomes of some tribes. And I don't remember the exact name of which one it was, but, you know, they show that their microbiome shifts seasonally as well. You know, their microbiome is more prime for these higher carbohydrate fruits in the summer. And then their, the composition of their microbiome shifts in the winter when their diet changes. So most likely this is aligned with our evolution and kind of the way that our bodies are meant to be. Um, most likely we weren't eating the same, you know, three meals very routinely every day for our whole lives. And so I think it's healthy to kind of mix it up. And I also like to sort of flex the metabolic system a little bit by changing my macronutrient composition. Um, so sometimes being in a stent of ketosis to kind of flex that muscle, and then sometimes being in a higher carbohydrate state to flex that muscle. And I tend to do it rather than switching like week to week or having these regimented um, cyclical keto periods, I tend to do it more seasonally and do it from longer stretches of time. So for me, that's just easier um, to get into a routine for a couple months and then switch it up rather than switching it more frequently. That's a great insight. So thank you for sharing that. Now, one I'm curious about one thing is um, the impact of meat on glucose and insulin. I know we talked about protein shakes, but there are some people kind of, um, you know, certainly the vegan camp is saying, you know, meat has all these negative uh, implications. Specifically, they tend to jump on insulin sometimes. So I'm curious what you've seen there. Yeah. In general, I one of my kind of nutrition golden rules is to prioritize protein. And I think that meats and high quality animal protein are some of the best sources of protein. So that's where my opinion lies kind of at a high level. And then what we see from a glucose perspective is that somebody, again, who's metabolically healthy, like we said, um, will release usually both glucagon and insulin in response to protein. So it's kind of this unique macronutrient that releases both hormones that usually are doing opposite things. So mm. typically for a healthy person, if you eat, you know, protein of really any source, but particularly animal-based protein, we usually see a really stable glucose level. Um, for the most part, it keeps things stable. And again, from my perspective, um, it's very satiating. And so for a lot of people who are trying not to overeat or trying to prioritize 
more nutrient dense foods. Um, it helps in that way as well. So, and it, it blunts the glucose response from carbohydrates. So I'm a fan of protein across the board. Um, but for someone who's insulin resistant, let's say you have a diabetic individual, or maybe somebody who has PCOS or other, uh, form or cause of insulin resistance, they might not be able to produce as much insulin to counteract kind of that, the glucose response from the glucagon, um, from the protein. And so you might see their glucose levels rise in response to protein, but if someone's really insulin resistant, you're going to see their glucose response rise to anything they eat. And that can be discouraging, but what we typically say to them is stick with it because eventually as you keep improving your insulin sensitivity by choosing high quality nutrient dense food, by doing all these other healthy habits, you will see that improve over time. So kind of at a high level, um, very pro protein, especially animal-based protein, high quality. And I, I think it's a good thing for metabolic health overall. Yeah. I think I don't want to gloss over the term high quality there also, yeah. right? Cause that, that <laughs> seems to be just so massive. So I noticed like yeah. I'm, I'm the canary in the coal mine. Like if I eat something bad, I can feel it right away. I just really into my body and eating high quality meat just makes such a difference. And I hope everyone in the audience takes that and, and actually jumps on it because eating like low quality farmed any type of meat just is I have to believe it's doing things bad to your body. Just what the animal eats becomes your body. And yeah, high quality protein definitely makes a difference. And as you're mentioning, just feeling different, a lot of times you can't tell the difference if you're doing it every day. So a lot of people, if they're eating really salty food every day, it doesn't taste salty, but if you reduce your salt dramatically for two weeks, and then you eat that same salty food again, you suddenly like, wow, that's really salty. And I feel the same way with the quality of meat. Um, usually if somebody switches for a significant amount of time and then goes back to maybe the, the farm raised meat that they were eating before, then you can usually notice a difference, but I agree. You can, you can really feel it. Kara, how do you stay fit? That's some final question for you. I'm curious what you do to stay in such great shape. Yeah. So I am definitely a proponent of strength training. So on, on your side there, but I do a variety of exercises. So I typically do four days a week of strength training. Um, I do upper lower splits, and then I usually do one day of kind of higher intensity, um, in between my upper lower. And then on the weekends I play sports. So, um, I play beach volleyball and tennis. And then if it's summer trying to hike as much as possible, um, if it's winter doing some winter sports. So I try to just stay, uh, active outdoors doing sports as much as possible as well. I can see the beach volleyball for sure. <laughs> awesome, Kara. Kara, thank you so much for joining us. That was an amazing amount of information. Where can you, uh, where would the audience find more from you? Yeah. So you can find me personally at Kara Collier One on all social media. And then you can also follow us at NutriSense.io. Um, we put out a lot of information related to kind of what we're learning um, about glucose, research studies that are coming out. And we also have a blog and newsletter on our website, NutriSense.io, that has a lot of interesting information as well. Amazing. I think everyone ultimately aspires for metabolic health, or they should anyway. So Kara, thank you for making a great contribution to that area. And thank you for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure. And that's a wrap, ladies and gents. Thank you very much for tuning into the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed this amazing episode. If you did, 
Don't forget to share with at least one person you know and love who wants to ultimately optimize their blood glucose, which for as far as benefits of optimization of blood glucose, the types of things you're going to experience by optimizing blood glucose, first and foremost, consistent energy. When your blood glucose is going up and down, you may feel a quick spike in energy, but then you're going to feel a lull. You're going to feel like you need more sugar. And then it becomes this constant chasing of that blood glucose high, which ultimately leads to body fat accumulation many, many negative implications as far as illness and disease, potentially downstream when you constantly overconsume glucose and when you have huge spikes in blood glucose, as we discussed today. So uh, definitely, definitely consider managing blood glucose. And the simple approach I take is earn it, right? If you're going to consume carbohydrates, earn your carbohydrates, right? If you're moving, your body needs it. If you're sitting on your bottle day, you don't. And so in which case your body probably needs more fiber from vegetables. It probably needs some fats and maybe it needs a little bit of protein, depending on how hard you're training, of course. Um, but in general, you probably don't need a huge amount of carbohydrate um, unless you're performing. And I'm not anti-carbohydrate by any stretch. I think carbohydrates can be useful, especially if you're in a caloric deficit, your body's probably going to tolerate whatever you're consuming relatively well. Carbohydrates can be extremely beneficial um, for some people, metabolically healthy people. If you're metabolically unhealthy, you probably want to reconsider your strategy around diet and get your butt moving. Ladies and gents, thank you for being here. Once again, a shout out to our amazing sponsors for the show, starting off with Vuori. Vuori is an incredible athleisure company. They are the highest quality products that I've come across, certainly in the um, fitness space, as far as quality of materials, quality of the wear. These, these pants and sweaters don't pill. They're so great. The fit is awesome. And that's V-U-O-R-I.com slash muscle. Today's podcast is also brought to you by our amazing friends over at Organifi. Organifi.com slash muscle gets you hooked up with 20% off ongoing. Get the greens, get the reds, get the gold. You're going to love it. Um, the protein is also great. If you like a vegan style protein, they've got them and so many more products that you guys should definitely check out. And last but not least, we have Capex from our friends over at Bioptimizers. And the entire line of Bioptimizers products is available to you. You head to bioptimizers.com, but you can also head over to Kenergize, K, and then the word Energize, K E N. E-R-G-I-Z-E.com and use the code muscle 10 to get hooked up with 10% off their amazing ketogenic fat adaptation product. Now, Kenergize specifically or Capex specifically has been designed to ultimately help with all levels of fat optimization. So that means if I'm consuming a high fat diet, whether it be keto or just a general high fat diet, it's going to help with digestion, absorption, absorption, and assimilation so that my body can effectively use fats. Using a high amount of fats in one diet or one meal and or in a day, sometimes very hard for your body. You can get some digestive distress. It can ultimately cause some bloating, some gas, some indigestion, and uh, Capex is a really great solution for that. So ladies and gents, thank you for being here. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your ear. I appreciate your trust. I realize there's thousands and thousands, if not millions of podcasts out there now, and you continually choose this one. And I don't take that lightly. To be honest, I'm, I search on a daily basis for great guests people who maybe you haven't heard from before, people who maybe I haven't heard from before. And it finds, I find myself searching outside of fitness. I find myself searching in areas of mindset optimization in psychology and spirituality and trying to bring you guys new wisdom, new resources and insights to ultimately allow us to think differently, right? If we were going to change our life, ultimately it comes down to behavior change. It comes down to execution. And I think learning how to think other than the way you've always thought. 
And this is one of the uh, passions that I've taken on. You guys notice that I don't speak a huge amount anymore about muscle building and fat loss. As I said at the beginning of the episode, I have a very good handle on that. I can help any human being add as much muscle as they want and lose as much fat as they want relatively simply. And that's, you know, it's it's certainly something I love. I have a massive passion for training, but I hope to bring you, continuously bring you new and amazing and insightful, valuable information on how to ultimately live your greatest life in a body you love. So if there's some specific topic you want to hear from me, head over to Instagram and leave me a message. You can send me a DM. You can also leave us a review, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, or on Spotify, and tell us uh, what you want to know, which, who you want to hear us talk to, what, what conversations you want to hear us have. And I don't ever want to continually have the same people over and over again, but, uh, you know, so I'm continuously looking for great guests to bring you the best information in the world. So ladies and gents, without further ado from me, uh, I really hope you enjoy the podcast. I really hope you're having an amazing day. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for making the time. Uh, it's truly an honor, truly a privilege to continue to be able to do this and bring you the best information from the world's brightest humans. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.